0: Today, as we uh, begin to prepare our hearts for worship, I invite you to think about your life and the past Christmas seasons that you've experienced. And this morning, I'd I'd like you to think about the various searches that you've had, that you've pursued over the last few years and, and, and various years of your life. What was the most challenging thing that you have searched for at Christmas? Maybe it was a present or, or a toy or um, the perfect meal or the perfect family gathering. What was the most challenging search that you embarked upon at a Christmas season? What did you search for the longest? And what are you searching for this year? As we enter into this time of worship, know that God will meet us here. God meets us at every place in our lives, Um, and as we open ourselves to his Holy Spirit in this place, expect to meet God this day. Well, today we begin our new teaching series titled Searching for God at Christmas, Um, and this time of year, we spend a lot of time searching, searching for a lot of things, searching for that perfect gift. And in my mind, I think of Arnold Schwarzenegger in that Christmas movie, um, Jingle All the Way, um, tackling people as they, you know, that Black Friday um, image from Facebook that I saw. Or maybe it's just searching for that right gift at that perfect price um, for you Cyber Monday shoppers. Um, But, you know, searching and searching for that thing that we need, but maybe the search is for that perfect family gathering um, where no one fights um, and there's no drama. I'm still searching for that in my life and my family's. Maybe yours is not like that, but mine is. But through it all, at the end of the day, we still feel like there's still something missing. Like we should be happy about this holiday season, but we're just not. Should be, we should be happy, but it's just, it's, we're just not there yet. We know how we're supposed to feel, but our feelings just don't match what our brains tell us we're supposed to feel. And today we're going to start this journey of, of searching for God at Christmas. And we'll soon discover that, the, that God shows up in, in the unexpected stillness, the, the unexpected silence of Christmas and in our lives. And that stillness and silence holds a powerful presence of God. And so I invite you at this time to, to pray with me. Holy God, we, we ask that you enter into this time as we enter ourselves into this season of celebration and preparation. We offer ourselves to you, God. We ask that you would invade our lives and invade this space. Speak to us today as we, we search for you. It's in the name of your Son, Jesus the Christ, that we pray. Amen. So do you remember where you were on December 9th, 1965? Some of you don't have to answer this. December 9th, 1965. If you were lucky enough to be tuned into the CBS network at 7.30 p.m., you would have had the opportunity to witness the 30-minute program that instantaneously became a holiday classic. But what most of you may not know is that it almost never made it on the air at all. Charles Schultz' line of characters of Charlie Brown, Lucy, and Linus, and Snoopy, and the whole gang were well-known across America um, from the, the, the newspaper, the funny pages. But making the transition from the paper to animation was no small task for Schultz. After multiple failed attempts at trying to get a TV pilot... Um, that failed over and over and over again. Um, Schultz was approached by the Coca-Cola company and was asked if he and Bill Mendelssohn um, could create a Christmas special, an hour-long Christmas special. And Lee uh the, the special's producer, recounts the story in his book, A Charlie Brown Christmas, The Making of a Tradition. And, and the, the team, the, the duo, had nothing written at all, when they were asked. And so they quickly created a simple draft for the Charlie Brown Christmas special, and it consisted of one page that was triple-spaced. <laughs> and they sent it out to Coca-Cola Co., and the, the next day, they got a telegram, Schultz and Mandela's Mandel, <laughs> um, got a telegram, and it said this, Confirm sale of... Charlie Brown for Christmas to Coca-Cola for December broadcast at your terms with option on second show for next spring, good grief. End quote. Now, with nothing drawn up or written besides this one-page, triple-spaced outline draft, Schultz and Mendelssohn had three months to create the Charlie Brown Christmas special. There was no way they could do an hour. And they said, this is not going to happen. We'll shoot for 30 minutes. And they, they needed 30,000 animation shell cells. That's what they would need for that 30 minutes. They would need actors that would need to be recorded. And unlike other films of the time, um, Schultz insisted that the character voices would be, f- would be um, children which was not used at the time. They didn't record kids doing kid voices at the times. But Schultz said, these characters have to have kids' voices. And to top it all off, Schultz announced to his team that there would be one full minute in the program, one full 60 seconds of the 30-minute program where the character Linus would recite directly from the Bible. Also, not done. Hmm. The producer Lee Mendelson and the director Bill Mendelez didn't think that the animated special was the right place for the Bible. And in Mendelson's book, The Art of Making Peanuts Animation, celebrating 50 years of television spe- specials, the producer Lee Mendelson recounts this conversation with Sparky, which, if you didn't know, Sparky was Schultz's nickname to his friends. Um, Lee says this. Uh, Sparky, this is religion. It doesn't go in a cartoon. To which Schultz responded, Bill, if we don't do it, who will? We can do it, end quote. I love that quote. Three weeks before the broadcast aired, Schultz and Mendelas previewed a Charlie Brown Christmas special to a room full of Coca-Cola producers who were... Not impressed at all. They threatened to pull the plug on the whole production. And if you watch with critical eyes of the show, you can see why Charlie Brown has a red shirt on, then a yellow shirt on, then a hat on, and no hat on. Linus is holding his blanket, and then not holding his blanket, and then holding his blanket, and then not holding his blanket. And there's ghosting in the background, and there's so many discrepancies and errors But thankfully, thankfully they didn't cancel the show and it went on. And if you were alive on December 9th, 1965, and you were watching TV at 7.30 p.m., there's a 50-50 chance that you did see it because statistics report that half of Americans who were watching TV on that night at 7.30 tuned in to watch a Charlie Brown Christmas special. An estimated 36 million people watched it that night, instantaneously making it a classic that has been shown since then to generation to generation to where even now my children watch it every year. And my two-year-old wants to watch Charlie Brown on Christmas. The Charlie Brown Christmas special is more than a holiday tradition and it goes beyond telling a good story. Each of us relates to the characters that Schultz created in that special, and none more so than Charlie Brown himself. None more so than Charlie Brown. Charlie Brown puts to words a feeling that we all seem to have. I know I should be happy, but I'm not. I don't feel like I'm supposed to feel. I feel let down. That's what Charlie Brown says. This feeling is not just about Christmas, though, is it? For many, it's, it's, it's a feeling that surfaces at all points and times in our lives as our expectations aren't met. You know, it's like our expectations um, is that, you know, our house is going to look like the great Christmas light fight, which I love watching. But in reality, um, it doesn't look like that at all. And I end up going out and putting out a star shower instead. It's a laser projector. It takes two seconds. Or, you know, I want my Christmas meal or my Thanksgiving dinner to be like something that Guy Fieri would, would make. And, and, and what happens is I have to take the smoke detector batteries out because they don't stop going off in the kitchen, which also happened. I'm not making that up. This is, this is, this is my life. You can't make this stuff up. Our reality turns out to be something different than our expectation. Our expectation is to buy the perfect gift that makes our nine-year-old so happy he cries and gives us a hug and loves us forever, like we saw in that Facebook video last year. And instead, our nine-year-old is ungrateful and spoiled and just, oh, this is all I got? This is my life. We spend the season of Christmas searching. Searching. Searching for the perfect gift, the perfect decorations, the perfect meal, the ideal experience. And, and each thing seems to come up short. You know, it, Christmas is a time for searching. It, it really is. But it's not the time of searching that for any of these things, really. It really isn't. That's, that's not what it's really about. And, and it may surprise you, but it's really not about searching for baby Jesus either. Did you know that? Christmas is not about searching for baby Jesus. Yeah, they found him a couple thousand years ago in a major yeah, he was already found. If you you can read about it in the Bible. So Christmas is not searching about baby, searching for baby Jesus either. Um, they found him before. So you no, know, Christmas is actually about searching for something else. It's it's really about searching for the presence of God in our lives today. That's really what Christmas is is really all about. It's about a search for God in our lives and how we experience Him today. Charlie Brown said, I know I should be happy, but I'm not. I don't feel the way I'm supposed to. I feel let down. And we often feel that way. We really do. We feel that way a lot. And there was a, there's an Old Testament character who echoes that same sentiment. And his name was Elijah. And he lived about a thousand years before Jesus was born. And and like Charlie Brown, and like so many of us, um, he felt unfulfilled. And he wasn't happy with the way things were. And Elijah knew that he should be happy. He knew that he should. He had seen the way God had worked. He knew the way things were supposed to be. He knew the way things were supposed to go. But he wasn't satisfied. He wasn't happy with it. He knew how he was supposed to feel, but he felt let down. He felt let down by God, even. Let me set the stage for you today of, of kind of how a story goes. Elijah was the only remaining prophet of God when we get to his story at the point of his story. And he's joined on Mount Carmel by 450 prophets of Baal and Erbaal or, or Baal or however you want to pronounce it. <clears throat> the false prophets of Baal were unable to prove that Baal was God because they had made this big altar and a sacrifice and they prayed and worshiped and Baal was supposed to make it burn up and didn't happen. So finally they give up and they go, okay, Elijah, your turn. Make your altar burn up. I say, okay, I will. Just give me a minute. Let me dump some water on it. So he dumps water on it. He goes, okay, make it burn up. So just give me a minute. I'm going to dump some more water on it. So dump dumps more water. So, okay, now you can go ahead and try to make it burn up. Just a minute. Dump more water. Three times he's dumping all this water on this altar. He goes, okay, God, I need you to burn up this altar so that I can prove to all these people that don't believe in you that you're really God and, and change their hearts and, and uh, really appreciate it, God. And... Uh, Fire falls from heaven and the altar burns up, even though everything's soaked in water. The altar burns, the rocks burn, the ground burns, everything just fireballs, right? Huge experience of God. Everyone who's watching is like, holy cow, God. They're converted, they they believe. Big experience of God. Elijah has all 450 false prophets killed. And then he goes up into the mountain into a cave and hides feeling rejected as though he were the only one left in the world who, who still loved God. And I can hear him say from his cave I know what I'm supposed to feel I know I'm supposed to be happy but I don't. I don't feel the way I'm supposed to feel. I feel let down. So I invite you to, if you, if you want to follow along, to open your pew Bibles to page 559 um, as we pick up the story in 1 Kings 19, starting in verse 1, um, to, to see what happens to Elijah. And I'm going to start in verse 1. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with him, be it ever so severely, if by the time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of, the one, of like one of them. Now Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there. And while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, he came to a, br- a broom brush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I have, I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors'. And then he laid down under the bush and fell asleep. We've had those days, right? I am done. I am done. God, just, I'm done. All at once, an angel touched him and said, Get up and eat. And he looked around, and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water, and he ate and drank and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank, strengthened by that food. He traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horab, the mountain of God. Horab is also called Mount Sinai in different parts of the Bible. There he went into a cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? And he replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death by the sword. I am the only one left. (laughs) That's my interpretation. And now they are trying to kill me too. Elijah ran away. He ran away. He ran for his life after after this fantastic display of God. Fear invaded his heart and his vision. Just just as Linus and Lucy sent Charlie Brown in search of the true meaning of Christmas. Right? Right? I just don't, I don't see it. I don't understand it. And they said, you've got to go figure this out. When Charlie Brown complained about his feelings of dissatisfaction, God sends Elijah on this quest of his own. But instead of searching for this meaning of Christmas, Elijah is sent on a search for an experience of God. And it's a search that we all embark on in our lives as well. So let's, let's keep going and see how Elijah's experience turns out. Then the Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Elijah is instructed to leave his place of hiding. He's hiding in this cave. Hiding for his life, right? He's being hunted, hiding for his life. God says, leave this place of safety. Go outside. God's going to pass by. And in his mind, I'm betting, I'm betting it's going a mile a minute because in that chapter before, as we read in, in 1 Kings 18, 38, we read, And then that fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the soil, and also licked up the water in the trench. Elijah had just, had just witnessed God and the holy fire that fell from heaven and burned up the altar, proving God's reign, turning the hearts of the people who were following Baal. What would it be like to witness the presence of God? Having just experienced 40 days earlier, God on Mount Carmel burning up the altar. What would compare to that experience? I imagine his adrenaline and his heart just pumping. This is going to be big. I imagine his vein right here in his head just continues in verse 13. Or verse 11, excuse me. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. And Elijah heard it, and he pulled a cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. See, before Elijah could stand up and leave the cave, a mighty wind began to blow. And the wind was, was so strong, so strong. It seemed, like, it seemed like it was going to shake the mountain itself, to blow it down. Rocks were, were shattering and, and shaking at the mouth of the cave, crumbling around him. And Elijah must have thought, surely this must be the presence of God. Surely this is it. After all, after all, the wind, that makes sense. It's the breath of God. I, I mean, that's Genesis 1. And, and this, the, the chaos, the, 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 the spirit of God, the breath of God was over the void of the deep. That's Genesis 1. I've read about this. I know this. The breath of God is exactly, it's precisely what Elijah would have expected the pres- presence of God to be like. It's precisely what we might expect God to be like as well. A powerful wind mighty. But no, it's not. It's not it wasn't God. God wasn't in the wind that nearly blew the mountain apart. And as the wind subsided, the, the ground began to shake under Elijah's feet, and, and it was an earthquake, and, and Elijah must have been shaking with fear. Imagine being in a cave in the middle of an earthquake. I think of all of the miners that we read about and see on the news that are stuck during a cave-in, and how terrifying of an experience that would be, and how terrified Elijah would have been in that moment. For God made the mountains. This surely must be the power of God. This must be the presence of God, because God caused those mountains to form With just one single word, God created. And so maybe this must be God. It makes sense. The Psalms say the footsteps of God could shake the mountains. Surely this must be the presence of God. It makes sense to Elijah. It would make sense to Elijah. It It would make sense to us. It's exactly what we would expect. A powerful creator. The presence of a powerful creator. A bold demonstration of power. But no, God was not in the earthquake either. That could have buried Elijah alive. And as the earthquake began to subside, fire started consuming everything before his eyes. Now, this final representation of fire, now that's one we need to really think about in context of early Pentateuch, early first five Bible, books of the Bible. Think about the references to Fire. Surely this is the presence of God. Moses in the burning bush. Did Elijah think I need to take my shoes off For surely I'm standing on holy ground? I'm seeing the fire. The pillar of fire that went before the Israelites at the, at the Exodus. How many times has God demonstrated his presence through fire? Surely this is the presence of God. What is more fitting for God to be present in fire? It is exactly what Elijah would have expected. Exactly what we would expect, how God would be present. But God was not in the fire either. And then Elijah heard it. And what, made, what he heard made him so uncomfortable, made him so feel so awkward that he was forced to pull his cloak up over his head Scripture says he pulled his cloak over his face. How uncomfortable do you have to be to hide yourself? So awkward, he had to hide himself in his place of hiding. And it wasn't the mighty wind that roared that he had to protect himself from, debris. And it was not the shaking ground from anything falling on him. And it was not the fire, the the heat, or the attention that it grabbed. It was... It was the deafening sound of silence. You see, God's presence came to Elijah in a whisper, and it was very unexpected. All of the ways that Elijah thought God would come, He didn't. God came in the way that was least expected. It was stillness and it was silence. Elijah expected God to come in wind. That makes sense. In in earthquake, in fire, of course. This is this is what people had experienced before, but not through silence. That's not what he would have expected, nor a thousand years later would it be how we would have expected the Messiah to come. You see, from Elijah's life forward, Elijah's prophecies forward, the Israelites began looking for the Messiah. Elijah's prophecies began to pave the way toward this coming Messiah, that would change the course of history. But what we find is that God's presence on the mountaintop with with Elijah and this unexpected way that God presents himself leads to an unexpected way that God comes to our world as well. You see, God showed up a thousand years later in an unexpected way. Everyone expected, had expe- everyone had expectations for how the Messiah would enter the world. But God didn't meet those expectations either, any more than they met Elijah's expectations. You know, he sent Jesus to an unknown town, to an unknown family. As an adult, Jesus did things that people didn't expect either. He he it was sinners taught forgiveness, grace, and mercy. He he like Elijah searching for God and in, in wind, earthquakes, and fire and not finding him there. People were searching for their Messiah and didn't see him in Jesus because he was not what they were expecting. You see, we are searching for, searching this Christmas. We are searching this Christmas season for meaning and purpose in our lives as well. We are also searching for God's presence. and We must focus our vision and make sure that we are looking in the right place. Because God, sh- God often shows up in unexpected ways and in unplanned times. That's what Elijah demonstrates. That's what Jesus demonstrates. And if we're not paying attention, we run the risk of missing the presence of God altogether because we miss those unexpected moments. See, Elijah's encounter with God on the mountaintop, mountaintop gives us some direction on how we are to approach our search for God. So let's let's look at a couple of of teaching points that we can take today before we're done. The first thing, the first lesson that Elijah teaches us is that we must be willing to start the search. We have to be willing to start the search in our lives. Elijah knew that there was something missing in his life. He He knew that he needed something more. And he was ready to begin his search. And like Elijah, we too must be willing to start our search, to recognize that we too are missing something in our lives. Just like Charlie Brown said, I know I should be happy, but I'm, I'm not. I, I don't feel what I'm supposed to feel. I feel let down. Are we willing to start the search? This Christmas time, we must begin to ask ourselves, are we willing to start searching for God's meaning and purpose in our lives? Or have we gotten so caught up in the fanfare and the marketing of the holidays that our searching has simply become consumerism? And that's it. And it's not an easy thing admitting to ourselves that we are lacking in some area of our lives. I, I don't like admitting that. and Nobody does. But recognizing that we have an issue is, is the first step to moving toward, moving toward fixing that issue. And that's, that's kind of the most natural part because the first thing we need to do is merely just ask God to show us his presence in our lives. And, and to help you do that through this week, we've included a simple prayer in your next steps in your worship folder that you can, that you can use um, in the morning every day um, if it helps you. Um, if you don't know where to begin, just start by praying that prayer to ask God to show you his presence each day. The second lesson that Elijah teaches us is to never give up the search. And this, this is important, and I think this is where we fail most often, is we can't give up the search when God doesn't show up the way we expect. We want to do this all the time. I prayed for this, and it didn't happen, so I give up. I tried one time. It didn't work. I'm done with this whole thing. Elijah tried three times. God was not in the wind, God was not in the earthquake, God was not in the fire, all all of which were ways that God expected, or Elijah expected God to show up. It wasn't until God's presence came in the most unexpected way, in the stillness and in the silence, in that gentle whisper that Elijah encountered God. But Elijah didn't stop searching on the mountaintop until he found the presence of God. We too should not give up when God doesn't appear in the ways we expect him to. When God doesn't show up, we need to keep searching, to keep looking, keep listening, because God has promised that when we search, we'll find him. And it may be in an unexpected way. But when we start the search and we keep searching, we'll find him. So Matthew says, or Jesus says in Matthew 6, 33, But seek first the kingdom And his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. The place that we need to search for the presence of God is not in our world. The place that we search is not in our world and our worldly things, but in God's kingdom. That's the where, that's where we search. And the best place to experience God's kingdom is to look at the life and teachings of Jesus Christ. The Sermon on the Mount is a great place to look as we embody the traits that Jesus gives us. You know, as we learn to forgive, as we learn to show mercy, as we learn to show grace, as we learn to forgive and not hold a grudge, as we pray for our enemies and those in need, well, none of those things are easy to do, but it gives us the opportunity to live out the spiritual practices that Jesus gives us. And as we do, we, get, we begin to experience God in our lives. And we begin to embody Christ's teaching in the world and live into king, God's kingdom. And by so doing, we put ourselves into God's presence, which is what we're searching for in the first place. But don't forget that Elijah experienced God's presence in the stillness and the silence. This season of Christmas comes with all kinds of noise, lots of noise, lots of banter, lots of chaos. And if we're going to search for God's presence, we have to, have to, have to, have to get past the winds, the earthquakes, the fire and the chaos, and take time for the stillness and the silence. Elijah had to leave the cave to get into the silence and into God's presence. Charlie Brown had to leave the auditorium after the play, if you remember the classic, with his little tree, walked through the snow and the silence and the night, we too must take time in the silence and the stillness with God and listen to that still, small voice that speaks only in the stillness and the silence. And as Christmas approaches, our search will continue and our search for the gifts and the decorations and, and so much more, but don't neglect, don't neglect this season the search for God in it all as well. The search for the one who brings us meaning, the search for the one who brings us purpose, the search for the one that brings us hope and fills us with a peace that passes all understanding in our lives. And search for him in the stillness and the silence. And I pray that we never give up that search. Let's pray together. Living God, we are so grateful for all of the ways that you show up in our lives. You come to us in unexpected ways as we search for you this season. Lord, Open our eyes to your presence each day. Help us to see through the winds, the earthquakes, and the fires of our lives, to hear the gentle whisper of your voice. Thank you for sending your son, Jesus, to teach us how to live in your presence. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.